0: Good evening, everybody. Welcome into the Villanova Basketball Report. It's live here on Bob Long Sports, and we welcome Tom Trainer, longtime Bob Long Sports correspondent, back onto uh, the Villanova Basketball Report, back into the studio here as we preview a big weekend in Villanova Basketball, as you see behind us on the whiteboard, the last non-con versus UConn, and a big one tomorrow against an upstart DePaul team. Where you can find us on Twitter at Bob Long Sports, on Facebook at Bob Long Sports, on YouTube at Bob Long Sports, and on SoundCloud, uh, I'll, I'll let you guess that one. But we have audio, video streams for all of our broadcasts. And thanks for being with us here, everybody. Tom, your thoughts on the cats? Here uh, we have some burning questions that we're going to ask you in your debut on the show here this week. That I think are going to answer some questions that a lot of Illinois basketball fans have. But generally, your thoughts on what was a big rebound week for Villanova, literally and figuratively, as they get back into the win column twice.
1: Well, first of all, excited to be here. Uh, Happy to be back on the show. Thanks for having me back, Bob. Great to be here. Um, My thoughts on the season are a relief isn't the right word. I would say pleased um, and proud of where this team is. This is the first year, uh, in I would say five years or so, probably dating back to 2013, maybe 2014, where Villanova is without uh, senior, real senior leadership, um, or at least guys that have played big roles on a big stage before. And so, there are, there are a lot of questions coming into the season. Um, how would guys like Gillespie? Samuel's step into the role of being leaders on the team when they really haven't been asked to. Of course, Jermaine stepped up towards the end of the season last year in some games um, when they really needed him to. Colin has shown signs of being a floor general at times and settling things down, um, but there were a lot of questions. You know, they hadn't been pivotal players on. You know, they weren't pivotal players on the 2018 national championship team, um, and were still very much role players behind. Booth, and Pascal last year. And so I, for one, couldn't be more pleased with just the team aspect of this team. Um, they've really come a long way in these first two months uh, defensively. Sadiq Bey is a guy who's really stepped up into a leader, um, somebody who just always seems to do the little things when he's not playing well. He's always playing uh, hard defensively. He's almost always seems to be put on... Um, and a defensive assignment against the other team's best offensive player, especially in key moments in the game. Uh, Colin has had big games, the Creighton game for one, when they needed him. Um, Jermaine continues to do the little things. He's the energizer bunny out there um, and does a lot of great things even when he's not shooting the ball well. What was it, O of 8 against uh, Creighton. Creighton? Yes, um, so, from distance. From distance. Right. And then, um, you know, he's happy to take a step back against Georgetown and shoot with two of four from the three. And then these freshmen have been really impressive just with their attitude and the fact that they don't look like freshmen. I mean, Jeremiah Robinson Earl, a guy coming out of high school where people are saying, "No, you know, is he a one and done type guy? How long will he be at Villanova? Tremendous talent. And he seems very happy to do the little things, to rebound the basketball. He's chasing Omari Spellman's freshman rebounding record now. Um, he's happy to play good defense and just you know score when he finds his spots and opportunities. And then simil- similarly, um, I think Justin Moore has been a tremendous surprise. I, I, he was a big question mark for me coming into the year. But his ability to um, pick up the slack offensively, and he, I think, was probably, Jay would say, the best um, or most well-adapted f- defensively uh, freshman early on in the season from the get-go, which is why we saw, saw him starting so early in the season. And then Brian Antoine, of course, the injury bugs got him, but he, whenever he, he does get his two minutes of fame on the court each game, he is a bundle of energy. Just seems like happy to be here, um, playing hard. Uh, unfortunately, that causes him to maybe get fouls, 10 seconds into his time on the court it seems each time but these guys just really already seem totally bought into the culture and i think that probably is a sign of the leadership of those guys like gillespie and samuels and cosby roundtree i mean i know he's his minutes are down this year but um he's just always seems so positive and I know that's, of course, anybody who's around Villanova basketball, is that, that's what the coaches talk about, attitude, attitude, attitude. And I think this team definitely brings the attitude.
0: I feel I feel badly at times for Demir cosby Rantry. We can talk about the attitude. Unfortunately, he's a complete and utter liability defensively. And that's a shame, right? Uh, we talk about this Villanova team having so much depth in the past. Eight guys from the 2018 National Championship team ended up in the – or was it the originally that would have been on the 16 team, ended up in the NBA. There's depth there. Now you're looking at essentially a seven-man rotation. Only seven guys get more than eight minutes a game, and Demir Cosby-Roundry kind of picks up four or five minutes where, where he can. Uh, it's it's unfortunate for that perspective. Offensively, a liability. Defensively, from a man-to-man and a hedging high ball screens liability. Still is a very solid rebounder, and, and that's where he can pick up some minutes. A lot to get to in what you broke down there. First and foremost, Sadiq Bay, sophomore year, very, very solid player. 33 points against Georgetown, eight threes to tie the record for a single game for any single player, and that, those those names that he's joining are big names. Darren Hilliard, Aaron Alan Ray, and Chris Jenkins. Um, doesn't look like a sophomore to me. Bigger, stronger, more Absolutely. mature. Absolutely. And he, along with Colin Gillespie, each of them, Gillespie against Creighton, Bay against Georgetown – Huge performances when they needed them. Timely three-point shots. Now, Sadiq bay they came first half, second half, late in the game, early in the game, middle of the game. He was hitting them at all times. Colin Gillespie, huge threes, huge plays late in that Creighton game. Question I have for you. I've been pondering this for a long time, and it's very simple. Is Villanova a good three-point shooting team? Are they actually a good three-point shooting team? Are they the team that shot... 15 for 29 against Georgetown or the team that was 25% from three, the six preceding games.
1: Well, I feel like you led me a little bit there by adding the comment that it's simple. Um, But I mean, looking down the roster, um, looking down the roster, uh, 34% as a team from three. Um, I'm not recalling exactly what the numbers might've been the past four or five seasons. Uh, But in my mind, um, inconsistent is the word at best. Um, It seems like the last month or so, um, if not the whole season, there's been one guy per night that is good shooting the three ball, and the rest of the team is atrocious. And you can't pick out who it's going to be. Exactly, which... You know as we as I was thinking you know of talking points before the show and highlights of the season or positives of the season so far, I was thinking, well, maybe one of the positives is that we've at least had a guy in each game, it seems step up and um, really bring the offensive um, power when it's lacking from the other four guys on the court at all times so in one way that's a good thing that you know if Bay's having an off night Gillespie will have a night maybe Samuels will have a night Uh, maybe Moore has had uh, several solid nights when other guys haven't played so great um and that's been especially important in games when Gillespie and Bay have gotten in foul trouble and things like that um and but now I guess when you think about it um the fact that you are relying on one guy to step up and it allows teams, I mean, you, you see teams um, are able to play off other guys, you know, if if they can, if you have this MO of, okay, we're going to have a hot hand each night, just who's it going to be? Um, that allows other teams to settle. Whereas what's Villanova's strength been offensively? That's been spreading the floor for the past five years. And if they're saying, okay, Bay's the guy tonight, Gillespie's the guy tonight, we can play off everybody else, and that makes your offense that much harder, not only for the player that's being focused on, but also for everybody else getting to the lane um, because they can play off other defenders. It just makes everything stagnant, and that's what we were saying off air before the show is that if I were to describe their offense this year, it is stagnant, Um, that it actually blows my mind that they have the ninth, best offensive efficiency rating in college basketball, and their defensive efficiency rating is down in 79th, because I would argue what their strength has been the past month of the season has been defense, especially, I would think, starting with that Kansas game.
0: Yeah, sure. No doubt about it. I'm certain that Ken Palm was sleeping during the Kansas game when Villanova went 9 for 42 from beyond the arc. I mean, what is efficient about jacking up 43s? And then you go back to a game like Penn, and maybe I'm getting into a compliment here after that initial kind of strike with the the sword there. But Penn, they didn't take many threes at all. They got to the basket at will. They got a lot of buckets inside. Now, there was a reason for that. Steve Donahue decided we weren't going to get beaten by this Villanova team. This is back when early part of the season, I don't think there was enough film on these guys, and the idea was that Villanova can burn you by the three. Patrick Ewing says, They still can. Kansas says, I'm not sure. Again, inconsistent the word there. But the reason that they got to the basket so much against Penn is it was just face guarding at the three-point line. Mm -hmm. Man-to-man defense. And, Tom, I didn't see a double team all night. Mm. Driving to the lane, there was no collapsing second defender. And a guy that was excellent in that Penn game of getting to the basket, whether that was beating somebody off the dribble or even backing down will say a less physical guard was actually Justin Moore, that freshman. That was his best game that I saw him play this year because he took what the defense got him is a pretty good finisher. When he gets to the rim, he can certainly hit the three, but I think his physicality and ability to get to the basket uh, are, are what his biggest strengths are and way too early for, but what reminds me a little bit of a Randy Foy type playing style Mm -hmm. out of Justin Moore. So All of that around the world to say that I don't know that Villanova has an offensive identity. What they've done a decent job of is taking what the defense has given them. Conversely, against Kansas, right? You're not going to attack the basket with Azabuki underneath. They have other bigs in there as well. They'll take out 7-1 and put in a 6-10 guy, and they took 42 threes. Do I think a few of them were hoisted? Absolutely. The ones that went in were the ones where they got a little bit of drivable, dribble penetration, did get a collapsing second defender, and had a guy stepping into a three from the stripe from the arc. So, again, all that to say, the offensive efficiency, I'm sure the numbers are there. What I'm seeing is a team that's coming out and playing a little bit differently every night. There are some nights where they are uber-efficient like they were against Georgetown. Other nights where they have 11 points through 15 minutes like they did against Creighton earlier in the week.
1: Yeah. And back to your point about Justin Moore, um, that is something I'd like to see more of, um, pun intended, is that uh, is him driving to the basket. You mentioned Randy Foy. There are times where he looks similar to Jalen Brunson, except he's bigger than Jalen Brunson. Right. Just the way that he can um, get to the basket sometimes at will, depending on who the, uh, the defender is on him. Um, and you said Sadiq Bay doesn't look like a sophomore. That's another thing about these freshmen. These freshmen don't look like freshmen. I mean, Jeremiah Robinson Earls already got an NBA body. Justin Moore is a very big um, guard out there. I'd say
0: JRE's got to get a little bit bigger, but Sh- but he's sure, but there. for a freshman, yep, I would say no doubt he's he's no definitely
1: um, he's definitely solid. Um, of course, Brian, Brian Antoine doesn't fit that narrative. He's a stick. Um, looks like he'd be doing high jump out there, <laughs> but. Um, But, yeah, I would like to see more of um, working into the post. You have a player like Justin Moore, who's a big guard. Um, Gillespie isn't small, Um, certainly. I think I would like to see more of those strengths. So so if you have Bay, who is a relatively—what would you call him? Uh, He's not really a forward, not really a guard. He's um, sort of a stretch— I, I Stretched, mean, yeah, yeah, a, bi- yeah. a bigger-ish guard who can stretch the floor because he'll somebody – Yeah, he's somebody, he's we'll somebody, call him a wing, you know. Sure. Yeah, wing player three, small forward-ish. Sure. So I'd like to see more of trying to do what they did in 2018, which was getting the ball into the post through Brunson. And I think Justin Moore is capable of doing that, backing down – um, a guard. If he does have a guard playing him, backing him down, getting the ball in the post. Colin um does a pretty good job. Sometimes he he dribbles too much, but can do a good job of penetrating and keeping his dribble alive. Yeah, a little deep for Gillespie. Yep, exactly. Right. right. But if but if he, if you he can get the ball into the post and collapse the defense and leave a guy like Bay out on the perimeter when maybe the guy guarding him, someone similar to an Azabuki or whoever it might be, um, isn't used to playing out on the right. perimeter, and you leave those. You know, those shots are open. Those shots are open for Cole Swider. We haven't mentioned his name tonight. Um, so I would like to see more of that. I would like to see more of um, of Justin Moore and guys like Gillespie. But working inside-out game that worked so well in 2018, I think is something that can work with this team too.
0: Well, you said Cole Swider. We hadn't mentioned his name. I was I was about to uh, because I was going to ask the question, right? Villanova has not had traditional post players. You mentioned Jalen Brunson. One of the best post players at the guard position in the country or the college game has seen in a very long time. And Omari Spellman was the team, the guy on that team that would bounce out and hit the three, more of a face up guy, even when he was inside the arc. So, who would you rather have in the post, Justin Moore or Cole Swider? Right? I mean, that's a simple question. Cole Swider lacks some of that strength that we're talking about, but is as good of a catch and three point shooter that Villanova has. The moment he has to put that ball on the turf, it's not there yet. And we talked about that with Chris Jenkins early on in his career with Villanova. Cole Swider thinks at that point. Some work to do with his body. The game is still maybe just a little bit too quick for him, but the shot is coming and the rest will come with time. Swider, very solid, but really that true four where you're stretching them to the outside and that stretch four that doesn't really have the inside presence there. Uh, But again, he allows Villanova to space the floor, create driving lanes, and and exploit man-to-man defenses. It's why Villanova has struggled over time against the zone. And now they can shoot over top of the zone 20 18 team didn't struggle with any type of defense, Mm -hmm. but this team can struggle with the zone because you can get a little bit pass happy, a little bit perimeter happy, and you really need to get the ball inside collapse, multiple pieces within that zone to create a step into a three rather than a shoot over the top. And then Jeremiah Robinson Earl against a zone. You don't have a man defensively. You don't know who to pick up. It can be a difficult thing to get on the defensive glass. When you're playing the zone, Robinson Earl and Samuels, an underrated rebounder as well. Guys that can really exploit that. So I think there are things they need to do better against the zone. And it starts with kind of a strength and a toughness and having a willing and able passer in the middle of that zone defense. We're going to talk a little bit about Jermaine Samuels in that type of context in the whiteboard segment coming up on the Villanova Basketball Report. But that's a thought there offensively. We get into that ninth in the Ken Palm. We may have to give him a call after this show and figure out what factors are contributing <laughs> What's to that. Wrong
1: with the algorithm, um, right? And uh, a point I wanted to make <clears throat> um, about uh, thinking about the ball being too perimeter oriented, or offense being too perimeter oriented, um, was something that I think they were far too um, happy to keep the ball out on the perimeter last year. And now especially seeing the success, um, or at least early in the season, during the NBA season of Eric Paschal um, out at Golden State. And thinking of big guards, I mean, Phil Booth was a sizable guard. I mean, what, 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six guard. Um, I think that is something that looking back now. Phil Booth was 6'6"? Um, six, six? I would list him at least 6'5". Should we look it up? Fact sure, check we the can fact do that. check during the break? Yeah, pre- yeah um, that works. I would say at least 6'5". Um, but, but with those two guys uh, last year, one th- problem that I had was that you saw a lot of handoffs, a lot of weave action, a lot of just pass around the perimeter. And we didn't have the penetration, the inside out play that we had seen in prior, um, Villanova offenses, the, the three or four years prior. And so looking back and in hindsight, you know, why was that the case? Was it an inability it must have been an inability to get the ball, the ball inside, because Pascal is certainly somebody who had no problem playing in, inside the lane from the lane. It was an inab- inability yeah. to Pascal to pass from the lane. I I think I hear I you. Yeah. What the what the issue would have been? And I see similar what? issues this year, right? So who can we who can be that guy? We mentioned Justin Moore. Is he somebody who can play? Who can force his defender? who's not used to playing down low, can he force his defender down low because he's a bigger guard and seems to find a way to get to the lane? Is he somebody that can do that and then as a guard could pass at from from inside?
0: Yeah, a couple things there. First thing, um, Phil Booth, you know, he didn't pass as much last year because, well, one, I always thought he was he was kind of those guys that uh, that wanted his own shot and would take it sometimes when it wasn't the best shot to take. Uh, The other thing is that Jay told him to do that last year. He said, we don't have any other scores. You need to be the guy. On Eric Paschal's side, what I would say there is that he was good inside the three-point line, yes, but he reminded me more of an Omari Spellman in that he wasn't as comfortable with his back to the basket. Mm -hmm. You know, Daniel Ochefu, same position. Not at all a face-up guy and beat your guy off the dribble. It was back to the basket, traditional big man, something that would make Patrick Ewing proud from the old glory days of the Big East. You know, Spellman, Pascal, guys that were a little either quicker off the dribble, in Spellman's case, loved to just rise up. In Pascal's case, loved to put the ball on the turf, usually to his left. Sometimes would lower the shoulder, a couple offensive fouls a game would frustrate you, but was also so ex- explosive when he was able to get by his defender. So it's a little bit different passing facing the basket than it is with their back to the basket. And I think that back to the basket passer, that's where a guy like Moore is comfortable, where Brunson was comfortable. That, generally speaking, allows you to see the floor better, and as a result, you're a better passer out of it.
1: Sure. And also another name that came to mind was uh, Chris Jenkins, who, and I, and I say sure like that because Jenkins was a guy who, it's interesting because he was primarily, as you mentioned, especially early in his career, a spot-up shooter. Right. Um, but then became a guy who played a lot with his back to the yes. basket. And that yes. had some very nice passes from the post and some very nice turnaround jumpers um, from playing from his back to the basket. Um, so it's interesting that a guy like Pascal, who's bigger, uh probably slightly probably not as much as we might imagine than then jenkins that'd be interesting to look up um, probably would, six would nine to, six
0: ten by the way they yeah. had booth at six three
1: believe really? it or not well i don't know he plays bigger than he is <laughs> how about that that dunk against at the fog allen Fieldhouse last year yes threw me off there you go <laughs> uh, <laughs> but anyway so I, but still, I would still even say, I guess you you're, you made a good point that um, Phil, and I think Jay probably had it correct, that um, Phil had to score last year. So whereas you have a player like Jalen and, and a player, like I would argue, like Justin Moore early on who seems to be somewhat of a balanced um, offensive attacker out there, somebody who is looking for the best option. Um, Phil had to be a guy last year because there weren't necessarily – other options he had to um, look for his shot, like you said.
0: One of the other guys that has had a role change this year is Colin Gillespie. And it revolves around that same point guard position. It started with Gillespie on the ball last year, Phil Booth as the off-two guard. Then Phil was put on the ball. Colin Gillespie was absolutely more comfortable off the ball and did a great job. There were probably less assists by the time Phil Booth took over the point guard position and thereafter. Now, Gillespie was, we'll call it, blessed in the opportunity to play almost exclusively two-guard last year because the guy coming off the bench, at least until the second half of the season, was Javon Quinterly. And he would run the point, and we can, we really don't need to, to get into much detail there other than I don't think the offense flowed quite as well with Quinterly. Now this year, Gillespie has to pick up the slack, booth to the NBA, more the guy behind him, but more... Even if he were to be the primary point guard, let's call it, Gillespie would still have to take over in his place. So the decree was Gillespie needs to be the guy at the point this year. And boy, has he delivered. He has been fantastic running the offense. The offensive game, from a scoring perspective, has not suffered either. You know, I think his transition to this role, Tom, has been really, really good. And I'm looking forward to Gillespie's continued role in becoming one of the better guards in college basketball, a great leader as a junior, a guy I would not see going anywhere next year. I assume he'll be back for a senior campaign on a team that will now have two seniors with him, Jermaine Samuels. Again, more to come there as we go to the whiteboard. And then Sadiq Bey, who I do not see leaving at this point, but might under the right circumstances the following year. But now you're looking at a more experienced, balanced team, another great recruiting class coming in and we'll see where this number 14-ranked team goes right now this year, but I think the thought being this team will continue to develop over the next year, similar to the other uh, team we talk about in this very studio, the Penn State football team on the college football side. Hey, they got a lot out of their season this year, Mm -hmm. but the expectation is 2020-2021 that that season could really be a harbinger of things to come.
1: Yeah, for sure, and I think um, you know Bay is somebody that um, people thought coming into the season. You know, he had a an impressive, I would say, surprisingly impressive freshman season, and was a big freshman. Now is a big sophomore or I should say mature sophomore so there were questions or some whispers coming in the year you know depending on what type of year he has knowing that he would need to step into a new role this year expected to uh, more more offensive production or scoring production out of him this year with Booth and Pascal leaving um, so there were whispers and now after a game like Georgetown I mean it's not a national championship Dante DiVincenzo game um, but a game against Georgetown your arch rival and you score 33 points, and as you said, tie the uh, Villanova three-point single-game uh, record at, with eight three-pointers. Um, looked really impressive. So you would hope that um, he'd be here next year, and you have that to look forward to. I mean, I, I and I think at this point you probably would. I mean, of course, there's still a lot of the season remaining this year, and he does have that NBA um, body. It does seem. Um, but next year with Gillespie, I think that was your and that was your initial point. The uh, strides he's made this year, averaging 14 points per game, 4.6 uh, assists, and and um, he, he's averaging two turnovers. So his assisted turnover ratio, um, you know, two to one, is still pretty solid. But um, definitely has stepped into this role this year um, and made tremendous strides handling the basketball, as we said before, had a tendency and still does at times to um, dribble too often, get too deep um, and put himself himself in uh, um, dangerous situations. But this year has really been a calming influence out there and somebody that's been um, quite dependable at times, especially at tough games on the road in uh, places like Omaha, Nebraska.
0: So I'll play my hand a little bit here as we enter the next topic. Right. What is the ceiling for this team? And my hand is simply this. I don't necessarily find this Villanova team to be a true contender to win the Big East. Now I'll just throw that out there. Uh, This is a team that has come from behind in games against Creighton. They struggled defensively in the first half against Georgetown, although that game ended up being a runaway. You see an all too predictable effort against Marquette, a team that, ninth in the Ken Palm. I'm going to keep going back to that. If that's the case, then I'll be wrong. But I don't see a team that's going to be able to outscore a guy like Marcus Howard when he goes off. And that goes for any truly great scorer. Now, do I think they can scrounge around and win a game against Butler? Sure. But even Kamar Baldwin can be that guy to go off when needed. Uh, I don't know that Villanova has the single horse. Yes, Sadiq Bey just scored 33 points against Georgetown. To go toe-to-toe, though, with a truly great national score. Now, I'll caveat this as well. This Villanova team still has two months to grow. But from what I've seen thus far, if they were to stop this progression right here, stay right where they are, I don't think they're good enough to consistently win to win deep into March. I think they are, what are they, 14th in the country right now? A little bit overrated at that current ranking. And I'm looking forward to seeing the young guys grow over the course of the year and in early March reevaluate. As of right now, they need to grow a bit more than the 13th and the 15th ranked teams over the course of the next month and a half to remain at that level by the time we're talking on Selection Sunday.
1: And I think a big key will be finding a way to win in tough road environments. We had talked off air um, before we uh, before we uh, started the show about um, the record of having lost, what was it, six straight road games before in the, winning big, East. At, in yeah. the big East before winning at Creighton. Um, so not, not a great record and a record that we were very um, not used to. Uh, yeah. in in recent memory as Villanova fans. So, you know the other the, before that Creighton game, the only
0: win on the road since January 30th against DePaul. That was a closer than needed game at Hagen Arena against St. Joseph's,
1: a mm-hmm. team that is struggling to beat anybody right now. Right. So, uh and that's going to be key. So I started the show talking about how I've been impressed by the attitude of this team. It has well, been. I which, agree. Which has been impressive. But, I mean, attitude doesn't always get you W's. So and Attitude so, so gets who, you
0: a W when you're playing, again, at Creighton, mm-hmm. and you score 11 points in the first 12 or 15 mm-hmm. minutes, and you're still in the game. Attitude doesn't help you scoring 11 points in right. the first 15 minutes if Marcus Howard's on the other sideline. So I think great offensive teams will beat this team. That's why, sure, you go into that Kansas game thinking they can they can hang because Kansas doesn't have a truly great score. But while you feel less confident going into a game against Marquette and while I will feel less confident when they go into Seton Hall and play against a team that mm-hmm. – was it Kansas? So, uh, Kentucky? Whoever Seton Hall, uh, one of those teams, you know, they, they had beaten – lost too close, I should say. Oregon. Oregon, but there was they one lost more. By two to Oregon. I want to say it was Kansas. They lost
1: Let's... by four to Maryland. Is
0: that it? There wasn't a Kansas Seton game Hall in there.
1: Has... And they lost by three to Michigan State. So that's three. Okay. That's, that's what it was. Three very close uh, games against really good teams.
0: Point being, number one team in the country, but without that unbelievable score, I feel more confident about Villanova winning a game like that than I would against a Seton Hall team. Yes, they're gaining their stride, but the idea being maybe not as good defensively, but an all-world scorer. And maybe that's not the case if you're Baylor or Duke, but for Villanova, that's the case because I don't think they can outscore teams. Again, ninth and Ken Pond. That just digs at
1: me. I can't believe it. But that's the way I see it. Yeah, and so I guess you need to... Well, there there are two ways that I'm thinking about this. Do Mm -hmm. you really want uh guys like gillespie and bay to step up like pascal and booth were were asked to step up last year and say okay we are going to be the scorers or would you like a more balanced attack so is it asking more out of okay we need um gillespie and bay to shoot for 20 plus every night um or do we need jermaine samuels um do we need cole swider do we need jeremiah robinson earl to look more aggressive because as i mentioned earlier in the show he seems quite quite happy now um and and it's great to see he's happy he seems to be happy to do whatever the team needs him to do but do you need to see um you know one of the best incoming freshmen in the country to step up and look more aggressive um do you want to see justin Moore look more aggressive as well it's a good question
0: Uh, I'll start by saying I'm not entirely sure they have the horses to do it right now in their current construction, but I need Cole Swider to be more aggressive and just stronger. I need Jeremiah Robinson Earl to finish a little bit better at the rim. The touch needs to improve. I think the aggressiveness is there. He got a couple great looks, really good looks at Creighton, a game where he had 14 rebounds, was aggressive, as physical as you could possibly expect, need the touch around the rim. Jermaine Samuels needs to stop turning over the ball and needs to take better shots. Again, we'll talk about that at the whiteboard. Uh, And I, I just think Brandon Slater just needs to get better. Uh, He's not an offensive threat at this moment. And again, none of this is a true indictment of the team. They're the number 14 team in the country. They will be in the NCAA tournament. I just think they will be a mid seed. and I think that if you had to ask me up or down at the end of the season, where will they be ranked in the top 25 if they're ranked in the top 25 by the time it's all said and done, unless they get proportionally better than the 13th team, the 15th team, the 12th team, the 16th team the teams all around them, they're going to end up lower than they are right now. I think there are losses, landmines in this schedule, very difficult conference. And to some extent, the schedule is set up well for them. Three true road games, now four with that Creighton game thus far in the season. Only two road games in the non-conference. One with St. Joe's, which is just a very much a struggling team right now. One was Ohio State where they got blown out. I'm willing to throw the film out there a little bit because it's it was so long ago and they're different since then. But again, I just, how do I say this without saying it? Some of this feels fortunate for Villanova to be right where they are at this point with only the three losses.
1: I agree. And I think, so to your initial point where to, or question, where would I see them ending up uh, come March or what type of thing? What do I think their seed yeah. is? I think, in my mind, they're probably a seven, eight seed range. Oh um, wow, you be, might be you might be like less six six. I would say. I mean, this team. Yeah. You know, to your point, um, what have their tests been thus far this year, other than the Kansas, Baylor, Ohio State game? Yeah. Um, and coming into Big East play, I mean, which many, in many are many are considering a bounce back year for the league, and rightfully so. And so you think about what. You know, there had been years where Villanova goes on the road and you still feel pretty confident. So going right. out to going up to Madison Square Garden to play St. John's, going out to play DePaul, um, going to Seton Hall sometimes, even though it was always going to be a tough matchup, felt pretty darn confident. This year, I don't know if there is a place even DePaul um, going out to DePaul this year, a team that. Had started off the year pretty strong. Of course, they've started Big East play, what, 0-3. But still, they're not your typical DePaul that we're used to seeing. Right. Um, so, I mean, I, every road game is going to be a battle. And every road game, I wouldn't be surprised if Villanova goes on the road more often than not and is the underdog. As we saw at Creighton, I think they still right. may have been the underdog going into that game um, on the line. So, I think this year, um, the difference... So. I think this season, where it ends up at the end of the year, won't be too different from last year. You know, Maybe you make it to the second round. Maybe if you're lucky, you make it to the second weekend of the tournament. Mm -hmm. But don't go beyond that. The difference is, and to your point earlier, is that last year we didn't get Booth and Pascal back. This year we most likely will get the entire team back. So they'll learn um, so much from this season and so much to look forward to for next year.
0: Yep, agreed. Very, very interesting thoughts, very interesting discussion there. And just to peel it back because I felt maybe just a little bit too harsh on the tail end of that one, uh, the non-conference tests, Baylor, Ohio State, and Kansas. Well, Kansas was the number one team in the country. Baylor is the number one team in the country. Ohio State got up to about two or three. So, yes, those three tests are great, and they got good experiences. I think that's the point. That helps them grow and hopefully – proportionally more than the teams that might be a little bit more veteran than the teams that are right around them in the standings. But there are just landmines out there in the schedule. Looking forward to seeing how they address those. couple of comments on the Facebook. Big shout-out to Ryan Lennox for checking in. Ryan Lennox, big fan of ours. And also the radio producer on 610 Sports. So 610 ESPN Radio, the home of the Villanova Wildcats. He... Is talking about the backcourt, Tom. He thinks Colin Gillespie needs to continue to step up the way he did in the Creighton game, and he also feels like Justin Moore is a guy who's showing flashes, and you got to kind of take the reins off him. Let him free and let him shoot more. Let him exploit the perimeter because he can get to the basket so well off the dribble, and I agree with both points there from Ryan. Let's take a break, come back on the other side. We're going to go to the whiteboard and break down Jermaine Samuels. He's a fan favorite here on this show. We talk about him a lot, sometimes endearingly, and, well, most times endearingly. We'll come back, though, and tell you a little bit about the keys for his success offensively. Stay with us.
1: Dunphy Ford is Mayfair's neighborhood Ford store.
0: Nobody knows your neighborhood like Dunphy Ford. Nearly 40 years. Right here on Frankfort Avenue. Generation after generation. Our neighbors continue to be our customers. We have
1: access to the cars and trucks you want. With financing you need. Dunphy Ford is Northeast Philly's first choice for America's number one brand. 7700 Frankfort Avenue in Mayfair. Online at www.dunphyford.com. Come experience the Dunphy difference. You'll be glad you did.
0: And welcome back inside the Villanova basketball report. Bob Long, Tom Trainer here. And now it is time for tonight's episode of V's and O's, where we go to the whiteboard and break down one concept of Villanova basketball. And tonight, quite simply, it's Jermaine Samuels, a guy that many say is a key to the success of this offense. But we're going to break down the times when he's successful and the times when he's not successful and why. And really, it is a stark difference. It's the difference between shots in here and shots out here. And and it is that simple. Jermaine Samuels, 24% from beyond the arc this year, including 0 for 8 against Creighton. Inside the line, he's at 70% shooting. Why is he successful? Well, first of all, he's getting baskets near the hoop. But he's also a good driver of the basketball, and he knows what he's good at and what he's not. He's pretty good off the right hand. He's able to beat guys to the basket. A little head fake at the outside out the outside of the key. He's able to get to the basket. Wonderful one against Creighton in the key moments of that game. Able to get by his defender strong up to the glass. The other one is he's an excellent rebounder. So in this area here, he's able to finish, go right up, and the key there, not putting the ball on the turf. I talk about his right-handed dribble. I'm not talking about his left-handed dribble. Why? Because he's one of the most consistent guys that you can count on to turn the ball over when he goes to a crossover or when he dribbles with his left hand. Five turnovers against LaSalle in and of itself, and a lot of those were late situations where LaSalle picked up the pressure and he put the ball on the turf. So I'm not going to put any type of, nor could I, of course, rule in place where he's prohibited from dribbling the basketball, but I think the understanding that he is so skewed to the right side, and really, I don't want that ball on the turf more than once or twice in an attacking mindset to get to the basket. Dribbling out here, working one way or another, even high ball screens, not something where I think he's successful. Of course, from a three-point range perspective, you go back and look at when he was able to hit shots. It's dribble penetration from Gillespie or more, an open kickout three, even the big one against Kansas. That was way north of the line. That came from here, not putting the ball on the turf. That's the key for Jermaine Samuels if, if, He's going to shoot the three-point ball, but again, even that is suspect. Tom talked about it in the earlier segment where he was essentially given the stoplight, and we had talked about, hey, how are we going to do this segment this week after the Creighton game? Well, this was a big reason why, and then we see him go two for four in very concerted efforts to only take the good shots, Georgetown almost daring him to do it, and he didn't take the bait. And that's the other question about Jermaine Samuels. It's the IQ of the game. Jermaine certainly smart kid, a guy that understands situations and times. But he falls asleep. He's a great defender, but I see him get too aggressive on the perimeter. If he has a defender out, if he has a, a player out here on the opposing offense, does he need to be here? Well, it depends who the player is. But remember, he's guarding the three and the four. So the thought is a three-point range. Uh, out to what would be an NBA line, maybe isn't a necessity for Jermaine Samuels. He can get a little handsy out there. He can rush out too quickly on a closeout and allow this guy to get to the basket. Again, very, very good rebounder. Somehow it seems like Villanova is really good when he's on the floor. I called him Jekyll and Hyde. I called him an enigma. He's a guy that helps you win in this area right here. Rebounding the basketball and scoring at a 70 percent clip from inside the three-point line. That's about as good as anybody on this team. He's a guy that last year, Derek Gerberich from Stathouse Analytics came onto this show and told me that Villanova as a team rebounds better when he's on the floor than Demir Cosby Roundtree. How does that happen? six foot seven versus six foot 11 when Demir Cosby Roundtree gets more rebounds per game? This was last year than Jermaine Samuels. Well, he's a team guy. He understands spacing. He knows how to get to the glass, and he can finish when he's able to collect rebounds. So I'm willing to entertain that. But this three-point happy, dribbling to the left. Anytime he crosses over, I think that's a struggle for Jermaine Samuels. This guy, so important for this Villanova basketball team. It's a question of basketball IQ. It's a question of where he's taking shots. It's a question of where and when and how he puts the ball on the turf. Only to the right hand, no more than a dribble or two, and he has to be getting somewhere where he's supposed to go. Otherwise, turnover central, poor shot selection, 0 for 8 from distance, and generally a guy that's going to struggle on the offensive floor. And that, in my opinion, is why I call him Jekyll and Hyde. I call him an enigma, because his strengths are uber strengths. And his weaknesses will cost you basketball games. So that's today's V's and O's segment. Thanks for being with us. Bob Long, Tom Trainer, here on the Villanova Basketball Report. And we'll be right back.
1: Dunphy Ford is Mayfair's neighborhood
0: Ford store. Nobody knows your neighborhood like Dunphy Ford. Nearly 40 years. Right here on Frankfort Avenue. Generation after generation. Our neighbors continue to be our customers. We have access to the cars and trucks you want with financing you need. Dunphy Ford is
1: Northeast Philly's first choice for America's number one brand. 7700 Frankfort Avenue in Mayfair. Online at www.dunphyford.com. Come experience the Delphi difference. You'll be glad you did.
0: Welcome back, everybody. Inside the Villanova basketball report, it's Bob Long, Tom Trainer here for the final ten minutes of this one. And Tom, I know you had some thoughts on the whiteboard segment we just did, Vs and Os. Right. And I,
1: my initial reaction was my initial reaction was to think, okay, this there's something we might like to happen, or some things we might like to happen. But try to get inside the mind of Jay Wright and the Villanova coaching staff as to what is likely. To happen. And I initially thought, you know, part of a big part of Jay's offensive philosophy is to let his players f- play freely, to trust them and let them know that he trusts them, to um, shoot when they're open, to trust their instincts. Um, and they've had a lot of success that way. That's how you get guys like Dante DiVincenzo to score 31 points and just go off because he's got the hot hand in a national championship game and take shots that you're going, no, 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 but they keep going in. Um, that's how that happens. So, But there are times where he has put a cap on, on players. There are times that even during Chris Jenkins' career, there were times where he was afraid to shoot the basketball, you know, early, freshman sophomore year. Um, even though Jay would say, you know, he's the best shooter on our team, but he it wasn't making it happen in games. Um, so a guy with a guy like Samuel's, my instinct in thinking what is likely to happen, because um, we saw this last year. We saw times last year where Jermaine got into a slump, turned the ball over a lot, couldn't hit from three, and they did. I don't know what they're doing in practice. They, I don't know what they're doing in practice, and what exactly that conversation is. Hey, Jermaine, let's you know, let's dial it back. Um, And defenses, like we saw against Georgetown, daring him to shoot, and then before you know it, by the end of the season, running into and through the Big East tournament, he was the guy. He was the guy who, at some games, seemed like he couldn't miss from three, was hitting every big shot when we needed it, when even guys like Booth and Pascal weren't making their shots. So I think this is something, you know, I, again, I don't, I'm not privy to those conversations at practice. It'd be great to be a fly on the wall. But I imagine that this, is, this reminds me of last year, and it reminds me of things that happened before with guys like Chris Jenkins, where sometimes guys just go through slumps. And I think this is one of the things, and if you are thinking of that philosophy that Jay and his coaching staff have, you know, it's, okay, let's get other guys involved. Do the things that you can control, like rebounding, Mm -hmm. like playing good defense, um, and just being a good teammate, and you'll get out of this slump hopefully come late February, rolling into March.
0: Yeah, sure. And and again, I'm not talking about a total cap from three. I'm not saying if you put the ball on the floor once in in that possession, can you not pull up for three at that point. No, I'm talking about general guidelines, and I was trying to highlight that the strengths are really good, and the strengths – are are as good as any guy that you'll find. Um, his strengths are really strong. His weaknesses, I find, are quite catastrophic, or they provide some serious constraints. Uh, that's the way I, you know, I see it with Jermaine, and uh, and I'd like to see those strengths highlighted over the course of the year.
1: Well, and it's cer- you're right. It certainly hurts when you have a a wing player that a defense can play five feet off. The sure, um, and say, hey, go ahead, we'll let you shoot all day long like Georgetown did. Also, it hurts when you have a wing player who you're afraid to have put the ball on on the floor. Um, That's definitely going to handicap you as a basketball team. Um, So again, I think it goes back to, you know, guys just go through slumps. And I would imagine that, um, you know, Jay, speaking of strengths, you know, combine that with what you can control. They often talk about not only things like attitude and, you know, shoot them up, sleep in the streets. There were, although there was a VU Hoops article I saw and said that uh, they are sleeping in the streets recently. Um, <laughs> uh, 25% their, yeah, in the six games uh, leading up to Georgetown. Three-point shooting percentage. But I think it goes to, okay, you have great strengths, and some of those strengths are things that you can control. So um, play to those strengths that are in your control good stuff. So let's
0: now turn to what should be a great weekend and a great week leading into that weekend of Villanova basketball. First, DePaul comes to the Finneran Pavilion and they will take on the Cats at 8.30 FS1. Big opportunity here for the Cats if we're talking about a team that is actually going to compete seriously to win the Big East. These are games that you have to win and then split ones against Seton Hall, Butler, things of that nature. Got to win this one here at home. And then UConn, the final non-conference matchup against UConn for the foreseeable future until the next wave of realignment, which hopefully is a very, very long ways away. Very much looking forward to these games. Think there's a lot to break down. We'll start with you, Tom, your thoughts on either
1: of these contests. Well, I mentioned earlier in the show that this isn't your typical DePaul team, and was it last year where DePaul, or maybe even the last two years, where DePaul nearly beat and maybe should have beat Villanova um, at the Pavilion? So I, this is definitely not a team to sleep on this year, but I already talked a bit about DePaul. I'll move on to, to UConn. Um, you know, still not the traditional powerhouse that we were used to in the old Big East Conference, and certainly not those teams um, – Uh, in the past decade uh, that won national championships. They're a solid basketball team and a game that I immediately look to um, to look for somewhat of a comparison or what we might expect um, is an early season non-conference game against uh, at the time an 18th ranked Xavier team and UConn just lost by a point. Um, in that contest and then similarly um, just to look for teams that um, we would say are around Villanova's caliber look at a game um, very early, early in the season against Florida where Xavier loses by three so uh, UConn or Xavier what uh, sorry UConn Sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. they had lost to Xavier by one sorry and then Yukon uh, okay. lost to Florida yep. uh, just by three at that time when Florida was ranked 15th in the country, um, and then recently to start conference play. Um, I mean, if you if you initially look at starting conference play for UConn, you see that they're one and three um, to start conference play. Not great, only with a win against Tulane. Um, however, th- they are recently coming off um, an overtime loss at uh, or two at home uh, to Wichita State. So uh, what I'm seeing here is an inconsistent basketball team, a team that yeah. has played well against con- good competition, but hasn't gotten. The job done. I don't see a solid win on their schedule, although they did blow out, um, who is a, a Miami team, who's not you know our typical Miami team this year. Right. Um, but I don't see a, another solid win on the schedule. Um, losses to USF and Cincinnati. Um, Three-point loss to Indiana. So And uh, then the biggest one, which I was waiting for, which is a loss to St. Joe's. So mm-hmm. we're looking for a comparison. So this is a team that, I don't know, are they going to show up because it's you know, the final non-con against Villanova at Villanova they're excited about coming to the conference next year. Um, I think this game is, you know, what kind of UConn team are we going to see? I wouldn't be surprised if it's similar to the Georgetown game, if it's similar to, okay, we got a ball game through halftime if Villanova takes um, control uh, later in the second half.
0: St. Joe's finally gets revenge for 2014. Wow. Good for them. <laughs> right. <laughs> Blowing an eight point lead in the final minute to a UConn team in the first round of the NCAA tournament, mind you, right. to a UConn team that would go on to win the national championship. First
1: team to get your best.
0: Looking forward to seeing James Booknight, freshman, guard, solid player, averaging 9.8. But this is a guy that I was looking forward to coming into the year shortly after he stepped on campus and. Still, I think room to go for him, but a guy that will jump off the page at you on Saturday afternoon. Guy that can go off. Uh, pretty solid team there. They got two good guards, uh, Booknight being the one, and then Vital being the other one. Guy that's been there for a while and their leading score at about 15 a game. Think this is one at the Wells Fargo Center. Villanova has seemed to have played and shot somewhat well at the Wells Fargo Center, and. It's tough to say anything Um, from a consistency standpoint. Again, I don't know what I'm going to get out of this Villanova team, but I think this should be a game that they win. The game that I'm more confident about them winning is actually DePaul. And this uh, famous last words, of course, saying something like that. But DePaul defends very well at the glass. Three blocks per game for their leading shot blocker, six for the team. Pretty good defensive team. Uh, but I do think they struggle a little bit offensively. Villanova, though this DePaul team is desperate, I think takes care of business at the home of your confines of Finneran Pavilion. I think they're going to win both these games this week. But again, every time you go out there, it, I wouldn't bet on this team. Let me put it that way. I don't know what type of performance they're going to bring out. But if they find their way, into late January with just those three losses, they will be butting in towards that top 10, if not inside the top 10, and in a really good
1: spot heading into the second half of Big East play. Sure, and to the DePaul game, um, I I think a good reason you mentioned uh, to be confident about this game tomorrow night is a primetime game at home in the Finneran Pavilion, and the students are back. So the students are back from the holiday break, and they haven't been at a game since the Kansas game right at the end of um, last term. So the students will be excited, 14th-ranked team. Um, It'll be the first Big East game of the season for the majority of the students. So the place should be rocking. It should be exciting. Um, Former student here, so I'm going to ask
0: you this. What do you think about the new digs and specifically where the students sit and the different options for which to sit and how the sound travels now versus the old kind of wall with the temporary seating in the past?
1: Well, I was uh, wary, I'll say, um, when I found out what the new, you know, that they were doing away with just the massive student section, because I was a big fan of the massive wall of students and the old bleacher seating and I thought that was pretty cool, um, and not totally unique to college basketball. Uh, Kansas has something similar at Fog Allen, um, but, uh, but, but I was worried about that, because I did love that wall of students, thought it was pretty cool. And pretty intimidating, especially for opposing teams shooting free throws at that end of the court uh, late in games. Um, but I think they've added some cool new features. Uh, they worked really hard to add um, intentionally some new rituals to uh, home games. Oh, let's which, talk which about that. First, I was <laughs> uh, not sure of um one that has been a huge success i'd say is swag surfing yeah um great song i don't know whose idea that was but that's actually pretty cool when the students lock arms together and um sway back and forth yep and then as soon as the beat drops the kids all go crazy right before the tip um it's pretty cool actually i made it a point at the army game um, and even last year at the Michigan game, I remember when that song came on, I was watching the Army fans and the Michigan fans behind um, the bench. I remember, recall, um, clearly the, watching Michigan fans because I'm thinking, okay, this is a big-time program. I'm interested to see the reaction on their fans' faces, see what they think of the new Finner and Pavilions experience. And then just, it was the first game this year, so I was watching the Army fans, and, and they were all you know, locked in and watching the students do that dance and then go crazy and everything. So I think that's been a success. That's yep. been exciting. Um, don't love the standing. I was going to say. It's got to stop. I don't stop. know how I feel it's terrible. about the standing, uh, especially maybe it would be better if you, didn't, if you had a team that didn't get off to the slow starts. Ah, oh, come on. Maybe. Ninth <laughs> you know?
0: and Ken Palm efficiency. They would never, never take that to the first TV timeout.
1: Come on. I'd be curious. Actually, that's a good point. I know we're getting away from the current topic, but I'd be curious to see what would happen if Ken Palm efficiency ratings were broken down into a half-by-half or even quarter-by-quarter or basis.
0: Time TV timeout to TV yeah. timeout. What,
1: what we would see would be really interesting. Yeah. Um, I
0: like that. Ken, you got your homework because we don't believe you yet, so make it happen.
1: There you go. But one last thing um, – I can't speak to, um, but I know I've heard players say in interviews. Maybe you could speak to because from where I sit, I actually sit a couple rows behind the main student section, so all of the sound is in front of me, going out towards the court. And actually, I've noticed—I noticed last year initially, I thought the place seemed quieter. Um, I don't know if that's because people were shocked to. Uh, a season that didn't start with an undefeated non-conference mm, record or right. stuff, whatever it was that took the air out of the building but I know I've heard players say that actually having students on both sides facing facing the court um has um, raised the noise level for them I don't know if you can speak to cuz you're um closer or you know you're on a side what would you say about the noise level in the new pavilion versus the I
0: think level? it's louder but I don't know. Um, I mean, it could be the students. And I don't know enough about the building process. I wonder if they put better acoustics in there or if they did something from that perspective. And again, this is total conjecture on my part. But sure, it it feels... I'll say it feels a little bit louder when good things are going on. Uh, I can tell you that the music being piped in is far louder (laughs) at all times... Whether or not I there's guess. something important going on, but that will be tabled for another show.
1: <laughs> sure. And, I mean, the, the other the, – the, well, we still have a DJ. I don't even know his name. You yeah, know that's exactly
0: name. what I'm talking Who's our about.
1: DJ? I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, but he's been – like, like, yeah, t-shirt, t-shirt, <laughs> t-shirt time. T-shirt, T-shirt, T-shirt time. Yeah. I, I mean, the other variable uh, – I don't know we're running over now. No, it's okay. But, but, uh, one more T-shirt but, time but, thing, <laughs> if I but, may. But Oh, sure. Go if on. I may. I, yeah, yeah.
0: It's so funny t-shirt time,
1: right? And again,
0: we're all fortunate to go to, a game, to Villanova Games, and the tickets aren't particularly cheap. But I just love, and I don't know how you'd even change it, that they pump up the crowd, and you got people from the top levels asking for a t-shirt, and everybody's going crazy. And then you get the cheerleaders out there, and God bless them, they're having a wonderful time. They just pump about 30 shirts into the same section, <laughs> and then they just run off the floor.
1: <laughs> Although I will say some of the male cheerleaders this year have pretty good arms. Yeah, old. no doubt. They, they which is good. That. And in the and Pavilion, you know, there's not a uh, a seat in the house that's too far from the court so thing, and pretty high up there, which is exciting. So yes, credit to those young men um, for working on their arm strength.
0: I just get a real kick out of timeout entertainment, and call me a, a connoisseur of it, mm. but I do have strong opinions on a lot of it. And maybe we'll have sort of like a secondary burner show about timeout entertainment at the Fennerin pavilion
1: i can tell you the front runner right now is the uh, um let's make a deal game oh right, yeah with the boxes and the, oh the key, man the key game big I, fan of that one.
0: i do have another thought there though <laughs> oh great you have to eliminate the two cases but the third one should be now which one do you want
1: not eliminate right. the third. Oh, okay, there it is. Oh, so you're left with mm-hmm. this. Because often I've seen people get confused, and then they actually, I think, indirectly or without intending to, get the person to change their answer. I've I've seen somebody pick yeah. a box, and then they'll say, you know, the MC will say, "Well, remember now, this is the box you're getting rid of. The last one will be yours." And they'll say, "Oh, okay. Well, I want that's right." That's right.
0: And then they get the The 50 instead of the 500. Listen, who am I to tell another bank how to put their game together? But if I were KeyBank, I would do it vastly differently than they currently do. Yeah, this is going to be a show. We're going to, on a slow week or something, or when Villanova loses two that week, we're going to come on and want to talk nothing other than timeout Hmm. entertainment at the Finneran Pavilion and the Wells Fargo the Center.
1: Helicopter swirls. That's, that's good, good stuff. Old, Real good cool
0: stuff camera. there. No doubt about it. Bongo cam, no more.
1: Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, I, that's my worst. One of my worst social anxieties. Yeah. getting caught on the bongo cam. Yeah. Replace um, it with the yeah, Titanic
0: yeah. cam or a new idea.
1: I don't know why that is. It's not hard. But I don't know. It's tough. Where yeah, are the bongos? They're yeah.
0: floating bongos.
1: Right. Right. And I feel like I mean, is it you know, is it bad practice to just use the heads in? Front the people in front of you. Absolutely not. What, especially sitting on the end, because we are packed in. Um, you know where I'm sitting; it's in the still in. Ble- I mean, more comfortable, but bleachers, not you know, not individual seats. Right. But anyway, this is going to be a show. I'm I can't forward wait. To I not, can't. W- yeah. Um. We got to get Kevin Long
0: in on that one.
1: Yeah, that'd be good fun. Be good fun. But
0: anything else for this show here tonight? As we embark upon another good week of Villanova basketball, a Big East matchup against DePaul, and then the final non-con against UConn.
1: Um, I think it's an exciting week. I think it's um, great to have this non-conference game to mix things up. You know, you've so we'll have had a handful of games in the Big East schedule so far, and get a sense of you know, how the team may fare in the league this year. Um, as I said, I think DePaul is a much better test than usual this year, so that's exciting. Um, again, it'll be great to have the students back, and uh, um, it's great to have an old. Big East friend who will be joining the Big East once again in Yukon back in town. It'll definitely be a fun week. The final comment of the day
0: comes from David Buzzard, big fan of the Villanova Wildcats, alum, and loyal viewer of our show. Could Sadiq Bay or Old Bay, which one has more spice, he says.
1: That's a good one. That is a good spice. one. Spice. I would have to have somebody define spice in basketball terms mm. for me. Mm. But I am a big fan of old bay on fries, right? Is that is that what's on crab fries? Yes. Okay. okay. Old there bay sauce. Go. Wow. Maybe let's wait and see if uh, Sadiq Bay gives us another 30-piece, and then maybe yep. maybe we can talk.
0: Then Old Bay goes by the wayside. Yeah. And, that, and that
1: is no offense to Sadiq. It's just that's how good Old
0: Bay yeah, is. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. But going down into Georgetown, of course, Georgetown coming here, but that's Old Bay territory down there near Maryland, taking them to the woodshed. I think that tells you all you need to know. So thanks, Dave. Appreciate the comment. Guys, thanks for being with us, everybody. Again, SoundCloud, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. You can find us at Bob Long Sports. That is content-driven marketing right there. So thanks for being with us. We'll see everybody next week. Enjoy the basketball. And until then, he's Tom. I'm Bob saying so long here from Bluebell, the Bob Long Sports Studios. See everybody later.